family because that was a special blessing. Isaac was old at the time this text was written. He was near death. And the Bible also specifies, because this is going to be very important as this scene plays out, that he was almost completely blind. So, I mean, you had to be really close to to Isaac for him to be able even to recognize you. And so one day he called in his son Esau. I assume that means he sensed that death was near. He was about to pass from this life. And so he calls in his son Esau, and he says, Esau, go kill some game, because that was Esau's thing. You know, he was a hunter and a gatherer. That's what he did well. So he said, go out and kill some game and prepare me a meal, and I will give you the blessing that belongs to the firstborn son. Why would he do that to Esau? Watch this carefully. See how I'm thinking here? Because Esau was the firstborn son. And so he said, come in with that meal that you've prepared, you know, grill it and bring it in and I will give you the blessing. But Jacob's mother, Rachel, had a different idea. She overheard that conversation and Rachel loved Jacob more than she loved Esau. See, there's conflict in the family. And so she told Jacob to put on Esau's clothes in an attempt to trick his father, Isaac, into giving him the blessing that belonged to the firstborn son. Well, then she prepared one of Isaac's favorite meals because she had heard him request that meal from Esau. While Esau was out in the field hunting, she said to Jacob, now you go to your father and you present him this food and he will give you the blessing that really belongs to your brother. Now, I don't hope I'm not reading into the text, but I get implied in this text that Jacob recognized the seriousness of this deceit. And he, and he said, but, but mother, what if he finds out I'm lying? And when he does, he curses me instead of blessing me. I'll be cursed for the rest of my life. What if this doesn't work out the way that you had, you've outlined it? Now think about that for a moment. Jacob understood that he was risking his entire future on this gambit. And he recognized that the words his father spoke over him would impact him for either good or evil for the rest of his life. And I hope we understand that as we're studying this passage together this morning. Now let's take that Old Testament example, put it in a time machine, and drop it into 2020, into our situation, and what can we learn from this? Now whether we realize it or not, our words affect our children's future for good or evil as well. We may not go through a formal ceremony where we, as, as the heads of the family, the father, the husband, gather our children around our deathbed, because some, sometimes you don't have prior notice, you know. You, you pass too quickly. You couldn't do it. But, but even if we don't have a kind of ceremony like this, let me say this parenthetically. This is not a par- part of the prepared script, so this won't cost you anything extra. I wish we still did that. I still wish that patriarchs in the families, if they had the time and the opportunity before they passed, would gather their children around their their beds and bless them and say, I have confidence in you and here's what I hope and pray for your future. Wouldn't that be wonderful, dads, if if we had that opportunity to bless our children? And that was our dying words. But anyway... Whether we realize it or not, our words have that kind of power over our children. And, and our words have the, essentially the same kind of power that Isaac's words had. 
We need to speak loving words of approval and acceptance, words that encourage, that inspire, that motivate our children, and that will help them to reach new heights in their lives. We ought to speak words that will help them to dream dreams and then go to work to make those dreams come true. And when we do that, don't, mis- don't mistake what's happening. We are speaking a blessing into their lives. And we're declaring God's favor in their lives. But too often we we slip into being harsh and critical of our children. I think that's kind of the natural default setting, especially for dads. We can can easily be fault-finding and critical of our kids and always telling them what they're doing wrong and never what they're doing right. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll constantly do that and find fault in something our children are doing. We can say, why can't you make better grades? And you cut the grass, but you didn't do it right. And why don't you go clean your room because it looks like a pigsty. And you can't do anything right, can you? Now, I hope that nobody in this audience this morning as a father is guilty of ever speaking words like that to their children. But we're living in a fallen world, folks. And those kinds of words are being spoken to children all across our our land and all around this world. Let's go ahead and face reality. For what it's worth, I think that's at least some of what Paul had in mind when he, by inspiration, penned Ephesians 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to discouragement. So give them something to live up to, not something to live down to. And also negative words will cause our children to lose a sense of the value that God has inherently placed within them. That is, it will destroy their self-image. As parents, we do have a responsibility before God and before society to train our children to discipline them when they disobey and to lovingly correct them when they make wrong choices. But that's not the only thing in our job description. We shouldn't constantly harp on our children. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. If we're always harping on our children, maybe we ought to rethink that and reassess our approach. If you continually speak words that discourage and dishearten, before long you're going to destroy your child's self-image. Again, back to Ephesians 6.4, don't provoke your children to discouragement. If nothing that they do ever pleases you, rather than motivating them with that negativity, guess what? They're going to get to the point where they give up. You can't please dad with anything. So I'll just give up. And that's the, the discouragement part, I believe, of this text. With your negative words... You're going to open a door, allowing the enemy to bring in all kinds of insecurity and inferiority into your child's life. And there is nobody, write this down if you have to, there's nobody that influences the self-image of kids any more than mom and dad. And we think about peer pressure, we think about their, their schoolmates, and we think about all the people that, that, that come into the sphere of influence, but nobody has the kind of influence over your kiddos that you do. As moms and as dads, millions of adults today are still suffering as a result of the negative words that their parents spoke over them as children. Now beyond that, most kids get their concept, watch this carefully, they get their concept of who God is by their relationship with their own earthly father. If their father is mean, critical, and harsh, inevitably the children are going to grow up with a distorted view of God. And if the father, on the other hand, is is loving and kind and compassionate and just, then that helps your, your children, our children, to better understand God's character. I've got a lesson that I've preached here a couple of times, and I usually preach uh, when I go for gospel meetings elsewhere, 
It's based on Luke 15, the prodigal son story, and it's entitled, What Kind of Father is God? Because when you read Luke 15, especially the prodigal son part of those three parables, you have to appreciate the fact that that the father in that story represents God. And, And I realize that when I ask that question, what kind of father is God, that whoever it is that's listening is doing that through the through the filter of their own experience with their own dad. So if their dad was negative, critical, fault-finding, then that's very easily the way they think of God as our heavenly father. But if their dad was compassionate, kind, and just, then they're more likely to think of God in those terms as well. So uh, we need to understand that. What you're passing down to the next generation, folks, it can't just be thought about. We have to vocalize it. In fact, if there's one statement that I'm making in this lesson this morning that I really hope that you'll take home with you, it's this one. A blessing is not a blessing until it's spoken. Your children need you to hear words from you like, I love you and I believe in you. And I think you're great. And there's nobody like you. You're one of a kind. They need to hear those empowering words from their moms and especially from their dads. They need to hear your approval. They need to feel your love. And what they need is they need your spoken blessing. And it may well be that your children are grown and, and gone, in fact, long gone. I mean, it may be a distant memory of having your kids in your house sticking their feet under your table, but that should not stop you from picking up the phone to encourage them and to tell them that you're proud of them. Maybe you didn't do that very well at blessing your children when they were growing up and when they were in your house. But let me tell you something, it's never too late to start. Finally, I want to mention something about words that can't be taken back because that's a part of this Old Testament example. If you turn back to the passage that we are using as our text this morning, Jacob was standing before his nearly blind father, Isaac, and he was pretending to be his brother, Esau. And although Isaac's eyesight was failing, his intellect apparently was not failing because, you know, he picks up on the fact that he's talking to someone that, well, he, he's not real sure who he is. And so the Bible says that uh, he questioned, Esau, is that, is that really you? And, and Jacob lied and said, yes, father, it's me. And, and Isaac wasn't convinced, so he, he called his son to come closer to him. And, and only when he smelled Esau's clothes, remember Esau was big on being outside in the field, out in the woods hunting, and so he had that outside aura about him. I mean, you could recognize him. By the way, did you know that Helen Keller, blind for most of her life, could identify her friends by their fragrance? Isn't that amazing? Her, her, her sense of smell had become so heightened that she knew who walked into a room. Just, just by the distinction of, of, their, of their fragrance. And that's, that's the way it was with, with dad and with son in this situation. So he called him closer into him. And, and when he smelled Esau's clothes that Jacob was wearing, he, he was finally convinced. And, and he then gave Jacob the blessing that really belonged to his older brother. And he said something like, May you always have an abundance of grain. May nations bow low before you. May people always serve you. May you be the Lord over your brothers. May anyone that curses you be cursed and anyone that blesses you be blessed. That's the essence of the blessing that he gave his son. Wrong son, right blessing. 
And notice in Isaac's blessing, he declared great things concerning Jacob's future. And if you study history, folks, even if you just page through your Old Testament, you will see that those things, in fact, came to pass. I mean, his blessing was a prediction. It came true. It was prophetic in nature. On the other hand, shortly after Jacob left the room, you, you know the story. You've read that Old Testament account. Esau comes in from, from hunting in order to kill something to grill for his father for his favorite meal. So Esau comes back home after the blessing has been given to the wrong son, and he said, Father, sit up. I've got the meal that I prepared for you. Can you imagine the disappointment that he's about to experience? Now Isaac is confused, and he says, Who are you? I'm Esau, your firstborn son. And at that point, the Bible records that, that Isaac, the father lying there in his bed, began to shake violently because he realizes that he's been duped. And he explained to Esau how that his brother Jacob had come in and deceitfully tricked him out of the blessing that belonged to the firstborn son. Now, here's an amazing aspect, I think, of this awful story of treachery. Esau begins to cry. And with a loud voice, the Bible says that he said, Father, can't you still give me the blessing that belongs to the firstborn? And Isaac's answer is both, I think, insightful and powerful. He says, no, the words have already gone forth and I cannot take them back. I said that Jacob would be blessed and he will always be blessed. Do you see the power of words? Do you see the power of speaking blessings over your children? Isaac said, once those words go forth, I cannot take them back. And, and then he gave Esau a lesser blessing, but it wasn't nearly significant as the one that he had given to his younger brother Jacob. And the point is simply this. We need to be extremely careful about what we allow to come out of our mouths when we're around our kiddos. Are, are we on the same page? We need to be careful. And I'm not telling you how to parent your children. But I am just reminding you this morning of the power of our words. And the next time you're tempted to talk down to somebody, and I'm not just talking about your kids here. I'm talking about anybody. To, to, to belittle your child especially, or to degrade him or her, remember, Isaac was right. You can't ever get those words back. And once you speak them, they take on a life of their own. So, so use your words I'm begging you this morning to speak blessings over people and quit criticizing your child as much, maybe, and start declaring great things in store for their future. We, we should never, I'm going to broaden this before we quit, we, we should never speak negative, destructive words toward anybody, especially toward people over whom we have some authority and some measure of influence. You know, just because you have a business and you supervise a large number of employees does not give anyone the right to talk down to them and make them feel badly about themselves and to castigate them with your words. Quite the contrary. I, I, I believe that the Bible teaches us in principle that God is, is going to hold us accountable for what we say to those individuals, especially who are under our authority, and, and he's going to judge us by stricter standards. We ought to go out of our way to speak positive words that will help to build up and encourage people. And if you want the Bible for that, that's going to be Ephesians 4, 28, 29. Speak words that do render grace to those who hear, who edify, that build up. And in a similar way, it's important for, for a husband. Listen to me now, husbands. 
It's, it's important for husbands to understand that our words have tremendous power in the life and in the heart of our wives as well. We need to bless our, our wife with our words. She's given her life to love and care for us, to partner with us, to create a family together, to nurture our children. And if that husband is always finding fault in something she's doing, always putting her down, he's going to reap horrendous problems in his marriage and in his life. And I can guarantee you that. And also many women today are depressed. You don't have to be a psychologist to know this, who are depressed and feel emotionally abused because their husbands never bless them with their words. That's why so many couples are in marriage counseling right now. One of the leading causes of emotional breakdowns among married women, it's a, it's a matter of statistical record, is the fact that the, that the women do not feel valued. And one of the main reasons for that deficiency is because husbands are, are either willfully or maybe unwittingly withholding words of approval that our wives so desperately need. And, and if you want to see God do wonders in your marriage, then just one step... And we're going to keep it very simple this morning. Just one step to start with would be start praising your wife. I mean, start appreciating her and start encouraging her. And remember, a blessing isn't a blessing until it's spoken. You can't just feel that. You can't just think that. You've got to tell her that that's the way you feel. You know, like unlike one elderly fellow who said, oh, my wife knows I love her. I don't need to tell her. I told her, you know, 40 years ago when we got married, I loved her. If I ever changed my mind, I'll, I'll let her know. Well, that ain't funny. Because that's played out in, in, in so many houses and homes around our world. No, the truth is, you can't just tell her that once every 40 years, folks. You have to tell her that over and over and over again. Every single day, a husband should tell his wife, I love you, and I appreciate you, and I hope you know that you are the best thing that ever happened to me. And a wife should do the same for her husband. You see, this is a two-way street. And I'm kind of picking on fathers and dads, but, but I, I hope fathers and dads... That's pretty much the same thing, Randy. Fathers and husbands. But, but we understand how this principle applies to all of us. And wives need to speak blessings into the lives and the hearts of their husbands as well. And if you do that, your relationship is going to improve immensely if you just start speaking kind, positive words. Blessing your spouse instead of cursing him or her. You need to start blessing and declaring God's goodness even in your own life. Start boldly declaring God's face is smiling on me. God longs to be good to me. God has been good to me. And I'm so grateful for the blessings that I've known in my life in the past, in the present, and what he's promised for his people in the future. And, and that's not bragging, folks. That's how God says we're going to be blessed when we start declaring his goodness. And we start thanking him, just as Jesus did at the graveside of Lazarus. And if you go back and reread that, you'll notice that Jesus thanked God for raising Lazarus from the dead before he'd ever raised him. Uh, we, we can pray those kinds of anticipatory prayers, thanking God for the blessings that he has brought into our lives and those he's promised to bring. So I encourage you this morning to think carefully about our words. Meditate on them. Let them sink deeply down into your heart and your mind so that they become a reality in your life. 
Practice doing something very similar with your family and learn to speak blessings over your life, your friends, and your future. And remember, most of all, a blessing is not a blessing until it's spoken. There are some words that God expects us to speak. And at the time when we come to Jesus in conversion and decide that we're, we make that lifelong commitment that we're going to follow him and serve him for the rest of our days, one of the things that God wants to hear from our lips is, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I mean, that's a biblical precedent. You can read that in Acts chapter 8, Romans chapter 10, and a number of other places. He wants to hear us confess. You know, don't you think God knows that? Yeah, he knows everything. But he wants to hear us say it. He wants to hear us say, I'm I'm sorry for the way that I've lived, but I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he shed his blood on my behalf. I believe he did for me what I could never do for myself, and, and I want to follow him for the rest of my days. And I want to be baptized where I can contact his redeeming blood and have his blood wash all of my sins away and start over today. And folks, if that's what you need to do, do it right now while we stand, while we sing.